All right, there. You got a better view of me. You got a better view of Bob. Bob's up there. All right, so welcome tonight to tonight's podcast. If uh, you weren't on the uh, stream earlier, you, you see that fish behind me. I caught that trout in 1987. I was 12 years old, and it was one of the biggest thrills of my life up up until that point. I actually won a fishing tournament with him. I won the biggest stringer and the uh, the biggest fish uh, prize, but the uh, the people in the tournament would only let me take home one of the prizes because they said it was unfair that I could win both. <laughs> but anyway, I caught that. I was 12 years old, cut it on a fly that we tied, and uh, I've caught a lot bigger ones since this time. I've caught bigger rainbows and bigger browns and brook and whatnot. But oh, I haven't caught a brook that big, or a cutthroat. I haven't caught a cutthroat that big either. But I, uh, I've caught more big, big trout since that time. But every one of them I let go now. I don't keep anything anymore. I let them all go. All right. So hello out there. Uh, thanks for joining me. Uh, hello, hello out there in internet land and Facebook land. I'm now live from Ashland, Kentucky, and this is the Pristine Grace Podcast. And it's Thursday, let's see, October 22nd, it's 7 p.m., and I'm streaming live to the internet via Sermon Audio, YouTube, and Facebook. And I am your host, Brandon Craft, and I'm glad to be here tonight with y'all. And so, thank you for listening. And hopefully we have a good podcast tonight. As a reminder to everyone that's listening, this is not a sermon. This is not a worship service. This is just me talking about what's on my mind. And uh, (laughs) usually it's about the gospel, but I've got other things on my mind as well. I might even talk about the weather. (laughs) How how, how is everybody doing tonight? I, I... I hope you're all well. Let's see. I think we got it. Uh, oh, a debate tonight coming on at 9 p.m. Eastern. Uh, that should be fun to watch. I'm pretty well here in Ashland, Kentucky. Uh, I'm loving it here. I love the weather. I love the fall colors. I uh, let's see. I love the area here. It's it's a rural area, but it has all the city amenities that I might need and like like good restaurants. It's also nice to look out my window and see uh, deer staring at me. The other day I was sitting here at work and I looked out my window and there was a big old buck looking in my window here and I'm talking maybe 10 feet away from me. That was that was pretty neat. And uh, so it's 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 rural enough for me. Uh, let's see. And I've got decent internet, so that's that's a, that's another good thing. Uh, let's see, uh, you know, oh, I've got a deck right out here too, and I like to walk out at night and hear the sounds of birds and bugs, frogs and whatnot. And uh, I don't hear that in the city of St. Louis. So usually, what I do is when I walk outside there on my back porch or my 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 patio in St. Louis, I hear highway noise. So I don't hear too much of that here. So that's nice too. And it's nice to be able to walk down the street. I can do that a few times per week and I have a place to worship now. 
It's nice to have uh, real life relationships with the brethren. It's nice to have fellowship in Christ, not just online, but also offline. But most of all, it's nice to know that I'm saved from my sin, and that it's all of grace. To know that all my sin and filth has been washed away, washed away in the blood of Christ, and God sees me as perfectly righteous before his throne. And, I, and to know that I have eternal and everlasting life, this fleshy body of mine, this, this, this filthy body is going to be replaced with a glorified and incorruptible body. And, oh boy, that, that gives me a lot of joy. It gives, it gives me so much joy. And so I have a lot to be thankful for tonight, a lot to rejoice in tonight. And um, I'm sure lots of you do too. Can you rejoice with me? Do you know what I'm talking about? Are you excited and happy as me? Okay. And I don't expect this to be a very long podcast. I kind of threw it together last minute. It may go 30 minutes, maybe 40, I don't know, we'll see. But I wanted to have another one about something that has been on my mind. And I'm going to go right into that topic tonight. You guys may be getting tired of me talking about this, but I'm going to, I'm going to go into a few more aspects of it. And that topic is, is on negative ministries. Okay? Negative ministries as opposed to positive ministries. Obviously, there's some negative aspect to the gospel because you preach against that what is what is false, but uh, it's it's a little bit more than that. And in my last podcast, I kind of touched on it. I talked about how there are a lot of ministries that are constantly on attack, and I talked about the difference between online and offline life. And I talked about the errors of condemning and judging too harshly and quickly with weak arguments. And I talked about these things because they've been on my mind a, a lot. I mean, I they, they were on my mind so much that I stopped podcasting for almost six months. And, and I've seen a lot of folks going down the wrong path on social media. And maybe I'm just a sensitive guy. I don't know. But it's just really bothered me. And... And, I, and I'm thinking, I've been thinking also a lot about internet ministries and how wonderful they've been. And how they've been used to proclaim the gospel all over the world. And bring into fellowship folks that we never would have ever known. I'm, I'm just thinking of the McGrew brothers. I probably would have never met y'all if it weren't for the internet. And... You know, I thought about how the internet was also used in my conversion from free willism to, to the true gospel. And I thought about my website and how many emails I received over the years from folks who have been blessed, or who claim to have been blessed by this ministry. And, and I see how sermons on Sermon Audio have been a blessing and how online church services being live streamed have been a blessing even in my own lives. In the life of my family, um, and I'm thankful for online ministry. But and here's my big but: often 
with online ministry comes not just positive things, but negative things as well. And I've seen these negative things even in my past and in my ministry. But with online discussion, it comes sometimes, you know, sometimes comes with an ugly side. And it's given rise to what I call negative ministries, particularly amongst sovereign grace groups and sovereign grace discussions you find online and bulletin boards, even on my website. Yeah, I've had it there too. And, uh, and the so-called gospel defense ministries are what I'm talking about. You know, and these things aren't exclusive to the online realm. It's just that I tend to see them online a bit more. And I think primarily because it's easy. It's easier to be negative when you're online. You know, let me, let me give you an example of negative ministry here. You know, we all know that there are a lot of folks out there that are preaching something false, something deceptive, something wrong. You know, for those of us who know and love the gospel, it's easy to see these things because the Lord's regenerated us and, and he's renewed our minds. And we can see the errors that exist out there because we've been given eyes to see. God's woken us up from the slumber that we were in. And, and once you know the true gospel, it's easy to see counterfeits. All right? But these errors... They do, they do deserve some time so that folks can see what is wrong, especially young believers, and contrast uh, these errors with, with, with the truth. But these errors, these, these heresies, if you will, these false doctrines, they, they, I don't think they should become the focus of our ministries. And I'll get into why in just a bit. You know, there's an example. There, there are some people on Facebook that are constantly posting about the errors of some popular preacher out there. Johnny Mack, or, or even dead people like R.C. Sproul, uh, Paul Washer, and others that seem to be the, names, the main subject of discussion amongst some of these people. And their walls will be filled with all of their errors. Their Facebook walls will be filled with all of their errors and some awful quote that Johnny Mac or R.C. Sproul said, and then some sort of incredulous reaction is going to be on display. Oh my goodness, can you believe he said that? <laughs> or a meme will be posted. Johnny Mac said this, he preaches a false gospel, and then you get a bunch of amens. But, and then the phrase tolerant Calvinist is thrown around quite a bit. And instead of just preaching the gospel... Just posting somebody's error is now considered to be a ministry now. And it's not uncommon to see something like, John MacArthur preaches a false gospel, and nothing else will be said. Not a thing. Not even the true gospel, what it is. Just John MacArthur preaches a false gospel, and then you see all kinds of amens, and yeah, you preach it, that's it, that, you said it. Like something edifying was just said. How, how is that edifying? What in the world are they talking about? You know, whether or not John MacArthur preaches a false gospel, that's irrelevant. But that post that you just posted, it's not, it's not edifying. And in fact, in many ways, in my opinion, it's symptomatic of something else that's going on, something nefarious. I think it's self-righteousness. 
And, and you see this on the other side as well. You know, the, you, you see this with the uh, low-grace Calvinists or even Arminians. They, they like to call everybody a hyper-Calvinist who doesn't agree with them on their particular views. And I used to really hate being called a hyper-Calvinist. I, I, uh, <laughs> I constantly respond to their attacks. I'm kind of like Donald Trump. I, I'm not a puncher, I'm a counter-puncher. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, Phil Johnson, for example, out of the blue, attacked me 50, 15 years ago and said, quote, Pristine Grace, that's an odd name for a site that is doing more to be foul and degrade the doctrines of grace than any other website I have seen. This is classic hyper-Calvinism of the most virulent kind. Now, I, I take that really as a badge of honor. <laughs> but, you know, why, why even post that something like that? So I had to react to that one. And I did. I wrote a letter in the form of a paper and responded to him on his points of what he calls hyper-Calvinism. But I didn't turn my website into attacking Phil Johnson or his boss, John MacArthur. And if I had, I think I, I might have hurt my ministry. So when you go to the website now, please notice that it's primarily a positive ministry. That is, it's mostly, it, all of it really, is about Christ and his gospel. But it's, it's not the primary focus of the website. My goal is to proclaim the gospel of Christ and primarily serve Christ and his sheep. And I want folks to come to, to Pristine Grace, the website, and see the glory of Christ in his life, death, and resurrection. And I, I earnestly desire to see the Holy Spirit use the material in the conversion of, of his lost sheep. And I want to see the brethren grow into strong and solid believers, not easily swayed by false and strange doctrines. That's why that website's there. I, I hope that it's being used in some way by God for his sheep and his glory. But... The moment a ministry starts to focus on arguing its way and pointing out all the errors of others, well, that's when you just need to walk away from it, in my opinion. Because at that point, it's no longer about the gospel. It's primarily about using gospel language to promote its agenda, whatever that may be at the time. And men have all kinds of agendas, want, you know. Just to be accepted amongst some people, that can be an agenda. Or to be seen as somebody who's religious. Alright? And, and in fact, I, I, I would say that a ministry that is seemingly obsessed with pointing out error is demonstrating a telltale sign that they are probably neo-gnostic. Alright? And, and not true... And not really focused on the true gospel. So earlier this year, I wrote an article that touched on the subject, but I don't really think I went through all the uh, list of items that are telltale signs of uh, what being a what I call a neo gnostic is. 
So I kind of like to get into that now. Maybe I should define what a neo-Gnostic is first. Okay. If you don't know who the Gnostics were, they were a group of fanatics in the time of Paul and later after his death who basically they they viewed the they viewed everything that was material as sinful, okay? And they focused on getting rid of material things and spiritualizing everything. And they didn't worship Christ. They worshipped, in some ways, they worshipped their knowledge, okay? Their gnosis, their, the Greek word gnosis, their Gnostics, okay? And I think you've got some people that are like that today. In some ways, they don't worship Christ. They worship the knowledge which they've obtained, all right? So I call them neo-Gnostics because they're kind of, they're new Gnostics, all right? They're not classical Gnostics. They probably would condemn the classical Gnostics <laughs> for all that, but uh, I call them that. So that's just my, my term for them. I think I've heard that used by other people as well, but you know, it's just not a term you see thrown around. So that's what I mean by neo-Gnostic. Right? I talked about it last podcast. People who believe cognition alone is the, the primary or the predicate of entrance into the kingdom of God. All right. So anyway, I'm going to get into that list now. And one of the very first signs that you might be dealing with a neo-Gnostic is they, they're, uh, or neo-Gnostic negative ministry is a strict insistence on the exact articulation of the gospel and all of its fullness. And we talked about this in the last podcast also. They, they practically insist that an ability to recognize all of the gospel's implications is necessary in order to be saved or accepted into the group. A, a simple faith that just rests in Christ is not permissible in their scheme. They, uh, they say you must be able to articulate TULIP, all of its implications, and also be able to aptly defend against Arminianism and Fullerism as well. Alright, so a... Uh, Strong theological vocabulary is necessary, etc. Top, you know, Augustus top ladies' words from his classical hymn, Rock of Ages. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling, would need a lot of amendments and buts. Okay, added on to that for them. They would not be content with that at all. They, <laughs> they would... You also have to condemn Arminianism as well and understand the full extent of the atonement and who it was limited to and who it wasn't. And basically you have to be very uh, mature in your understanding of the gospel. Okay, so they, they expect you to think through all these implications in order to be saved. Alright, that's just one telltale sign. I've got like 13 signs I'm going to go through here. The uh, second sign that you might be dealing with a neo-Gnostic person or ministry is this constant use of the words saved and lost. They might say something like, John MacArthur's a lost man. 
<laughs> or they might say, R.C. Sproul was not saved when he died. Or they might say to you, you're not a saved man. Or they'll, they'll talk about their own experience. I was saved on October 22nd, 1995, when I came to believe tolerant Calvinism was false. Before then, I wasn't properly counting my free will works as dumb. Okay? <laughs> okay, so they talk about being lost and saved. And yes, and... In a sense, you can be lost and be one of, and be a reprobate man. But primarily, and I believe the scriptures are pretty clear on this, that only the elect are truly lost. Okay, and what do you, what do I mean by that? Well, sheep get lost. Okay, goats aren't lost. They're at home, wherever they go. They like their filthy lives. <laughs> and, and you know, but Christ came for his sheep. He came for his lost sheep. So if you're lost, that's a good thing. I I would think, you know, the lost are never going to go to hell. They're all going to be found and go to heaven because Christ's atonement is effectual, and He gathers in all of His sheep. All right, He gathers in all of His lost sheep. Every one of His lost sheep will be found. And gathered in. Alright. So, they, I think there's, and that, that vernacular, that terminology, lost and saved. Of course, you know, saved is, is a good word, but the lost, you hear that word lost a lot. That really comes from Arminianism. You think about it. Go back in the day, if you ever were a free willer. I know some of you guys weren't free willers. You were raised in the fear and admonition of the gospel. But, I remember being a free willer, and I remember being lost and saved. And what I meant by lost was, I was on my way to hell. Okay? And then I got saved, and I was no longer on my way to hell. That's generally what these, uh, these religionists are talking about. <laughs> They're not talking about lost sheep. <laughs> Alright, so, uh, that's the, let's go to the third telltale sign. And... This is one we've talked about before. Yeah, the uh, neo-gnostic, most of them deny justification from eternity as the doctrine, and they usually deny it emphatically. They consider justification from eternity to be such an erroneous doctrine that they consider it even to be heresy. See, they don't see justification in Christ, but in what God does in the individual. So, or what knowledge he gives the individual. They will say that justification doesn't happen really until that person has faith. And of course they'll say, well, it's not based on faith. Justification is not based on faith. But in my mind, I don't, you know, in my mind, I don't see how they can avoid thinking like this. Thinking this. They, they act like it though in the rest of their doctrine. They uh, act like all of salvation is based on their faith, even though they say it's not. Alright? So, it's one thing not to be aware of the doctrine of justification from eternity. It's another thing to deny it. And to be emphatically, and, and to be an emphatic denial about it. To hear, to hear a gospel preacher, so-called gospel preacher, get up and preach against justification from eternity, 
well, that's kind of a nightmarish scenario for me. And I've actually been in a scenario. I remember, maybe this podcast is going to go longer than I thought. I remember back when I was, uh, let's see, a new believer, somewhat new. It was around 2006. I went down to Eager Avenue Grace Church for a conference there. I think either heard one or two sermons preached against justification from eternity. I think it was David Simpson and Ken Weimer. I think they both preached against it. And I looked around there, and this is before the, those folks down there actually came to believe the doctrine. And I looked around, and I just remember thinking, am I the only one here that believes this wonderful doctrine? And, uh, you know, it was just kind of a, a, a terrible thing. And, but, uh, because I love the doctrine. It gives me such peace to know that God's always viewed me as righteous and that I, I've always been loved and seen as perfect in Christ. And, you know, there's an eternal aspect to everything. Uh, everything flows from eternity, not just our justification, but everything. Really, the doctrine ought to be called everything from eternity, because everything is from eternity, because God is eternity, and he's predestinated all things, and everything flows from God. <laughs> Justification just happens to be one of those things. <laughs> but I think when people go, here I am on justification from eternity again, I think when people rail against it, they have a misunderstanding of who God is and what eternity is. And they, they view eternity as really just an extension of time. And they view God as being affected by what he sees in time. And they actually have a mutable God and not an immutable one. So I, I really think the doctrine of justification from eternity is vital. Vital. Absolutely vital to understanding God in a fuller sense. But when you deny it and you fight against it, it tells me you really don't know who God is. It tells me you don't understand uh, God's attributes. All right? And it tells me that you're probably a neo-gnostic. <laughs> All right. Uh, what goes hand in hand with denial of justification from eternity is a, den is a uh, belief, and this is the fourth telltale sign, a belief in the doctrine of common wrath. Okay? <laughs> And like justification from eternity, it's another doctrine that we've talked about on this podcast. Briefly, common wrath is the idea that God's wrath abides on an individual until they really believe. Justification, once again, is based upon the faith of the individual. God can't see a person as righteous in their scheme until faith has been seen in the individual. It's conditionalism, which they deny, but uh, nevertheless, I believe it's anti-gospel doctrine. So, a lot of these neo-gnostics, these negative ministries, they all, almost all of them universally support the doctrine of common wrath. Alright? If you see somebody preaching common wrath, run. Okay? It's, it's a bad doctrine. It's a bad doctrine. Alright. And uh, here's the fifth telltale sign, which we talked about last week, or last podcast. Uh, they, the neo-gnostics believe that the logical conclusions and impl implications of a proposition 
or logical argument are the actual propositions one believes. Does it make sense? And it, let me give you an example. If you were to erroneously speak peace to a free willer, uh, call them a brother, that uh, they would say you are demonstrating that you believe that free willism is a valid expression of the gospel. Okay, but all kinds of assumptions are made in that that argument they would make. Okay, and I addressed those assumptions on the last podcast. But nevertheless. Neo-Gnostics love to tell you what you believe. Okay, watch out for somebody who tries to box you in and tell you what you believe. And then condemn you for it. Even if you disagree with them. You can say, no, I don't believe that. And they say, yes, you do. You believe that, and now you're lost. <laughs> That's something stupid like that. Okay, there's no room in their rigid thinking for people who don't think a lot uh, logically or what they consider to be logically or like them, all right? There's no room for men to have any sort of error or to be paradoxical in their thinking, which men are const we're constantly paradoxical. And I'm not, and I'm not supporting paradox theology. I don't believe in paradox theology. I don't believe God contradicts Himself. Okay, there's no contradiction in God or the gospel, or in the Bible, or and if you have any sort of uh, contradiction in your doctrine, well. That, that's terrible. But men can be contradictive in their thinking. Okay? They con I contradict myself all the time. I sin constantly, every day. I can't stop. And I believe the gospel, too. And I have the law of God written on my heart. I've got the Holy Spirit residing within my mind. And, and yet I, I, I act like I don't believe it all the time. Every time I sin, I'm acting like an unbeliever. I contradict myself. But neo-Gnostics, they don't contradict themselves. Oh no, they're perfect in their thought processes. They, they, they think everything perfectly, and they've got little sweet little arguments that demonstrate that they have it all figured out. Well, run from those types of people, because they don't. They don't have it all figured out. They, they, they're deluded. Okay? <laughs> all right, number six, the sixth sign. The sixth telltale sign of a neo-gnostic or neo-gnostic ministry person or ministry is these men are not gentle or kind. They're usually mean and nasty. All right, you know, and I can get mean and nasty too, especially when I'm hungry. I call it I call it hangry. And she knows how I get when I'm not hung when I'm hungry. Okay, I can get pretty cranky. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about gentle or kind in their dealings with other 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 people. All right, they can be especially mean and nasty with those they disagree with. All right, if 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 they think you agree with them on everything, they're going to be nice to you. But if not, ho oh, ho, don't don't mess with them. You know, and and believers can be that way as well. I mean, obviously we sin. But this is generally a general tone that they present uh, throughout their, their, their so-called ministry. All right, you, you know who they are on Facebook. They're always got a snarky, nasty remark to everything that, that, that they see. They think you're even preaching anything that's, you know, different from what they believe. 
well, they're gonna they're gonna call you out on it, and they're gonna be mean and nasty about it too. All right, I think we can confront error without being mean or nasty. I I, I do. Okay, I'm trying hard. <laughs> you could call me a reforming neo-gnostic, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I think we can be kind <laughs> and gentle with people. All right, the seventh sign of a neo-gnostic person or ministry is they don't have any desire to be assembled with the brethren, with the saints. They don't desire to be engaged in public worship. Instead, they uh, they they might say they're arguing on Facebook as public worship. And they they pass up opportunities to assemble with the brethren and and the and God's people and and to live in peace amongst the sheep. No, 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 no. They're, they're not interested in that. Okay? You, a lot of them you'll see as uh, loners, complete loners, and they don't want any fellowship with anybody because nobody's good enough for them. I'm not saying that's true in all cases, but it's one of the signs that I've observed. All right? And and for the, for the record, you, there are probably more signs as well. So... But this is just my list that I put together. Okay, and the eighth sign of a neo-gnostic is that they are very confrontational. Alright, and they're super critical. They're combative. Alright, this, this actually may be the number one sign. They like to slash and burn. And burn you at the stake. They want to argue, and they want to fight. And they want to be seen as winners. They want to dominate the conversation. And they relish a debate. They want to fight with anyone and everyone that they see as a threat. Okay? And they treat the gospel, the gospel message, like it's a blood sport. Okay? It's, it's just, and I've seen people do this. But Titus 3.2 says, that we're not to speak evil of any man, and we're not to be brawlers, but gentle. And we're supposed to show all meekness unto all men. Okay, so if you see a man that wants to argue and dominate, and is being unkind and, and very harsh, walk away from that man. Because, one, they probably aren't a believer, they're just probably uh, whitewashed religionists who condition salvation upon what they know or how well they can argue. <laughs> All right, the ninth telltale sign is they are, and I've talked about this before, they're focusing all their efforts on pointing out error instead of building people up. In fact, they'll say things like, Don Forder's a heretic, and that's to be understood as an edifying statement that can gather lots of amens from the crazy Facebook peanut gallery. Okay, they love to rail on dead people too. Oh my, especially uh, popular figures in the, uh, in our faith like uh, John Calvin, Martin Luther, uh, Charles Spurgeon, John Gill. Even uh, they'll say things like Charles Spurgeon didn't believe the gospel. <laughs> so, what, what what are you proving there? How is that edifying me? You know, and that will get lots of amens on their Facebook wall. 
okay? <laughs> from, from the neo-Gnostic crowd. They act like that's an edifying statement. <laughs> it's nuts. <laughs> Absolutely nuts. <laughs> All right. Tenth telltale sign is the constant use on online of internet memes. Okay, to make their case. Folks, when did preaching the gospel with power turn into being able to be clever as the Babylon Bee satire site? Okay? <laughs> oh, you think you're smart there posting your meme. Well, you know, I'd rather just be a dummy that preaches the gospel. Okay? <laughs> you know, you're mean. Uh, it's about a spiritual wearing a cross around your neck and think you're doing something for Christ. All right? You think that tattoo of Jesus on your arm or some gospel passage on your arm is preaching the gospel? Well, think again. All right? And the same is true for your memes. You, you look ridiculous. All right? You look like a neo-gnostic, actually. All right? And I'm not saying if you post a meme on your wall, you're a neo-gnostic. But I'm saying, if you see a wall filled with nothing but memes pointing out error, they're probably a neo-gnostic. <laughs> All right. 11th telltale sign. It's a denial of any experience of salvation. All right? And I, and I know... There are some folks out there that have no idea what the gospel was, and they talk about having their religious experiences. All right, an experience doesn't save anybody. Okay, it's gonna. Uh, what would what was it? I heard an old preacher say, you know, I you know, it's not worth a plug nickel. <laughs> All right. However, you cannot know Christ without experiencing Christ. Salvation isn't entirely objective. You know, and it is objective in the fact that it's true that God did save his elect before the world began. But it's also true that they will be brought to experience the, the truth in time. And the neo-gnostics will rarely talk about the experience of joy of knowing God. Yeah, we're going to have joy in the Holy Spirit. If you're a believer out there, you've experienced that joy. Okay? Galatians 5, 22 through 23 says, Joy is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Alright? But I've seen some folks say that believing the gospel doesn't produce joy. I've actually seen this. And they'll say it just produces, some cases it just produces fear and self-loathing. And, and, friend, and friends, I, if you think that the gospel cannot produce joy... Well, then I don't think you understand our Lord. Oh my goodness, the joy that I have. And the joy that Paul and the apostles that they spoke of, the, the joy of seeing Christ resurrected from the dead, knowing that your sins are washed away. How can that not produce joy? I don't know. But they'll say it. And, that, and they say that because they think it excuses their behavior. They think it gives them the... Uh, they think then that they can be jerks to everybody and be unkind and not gentle because they have no joy. And uh, they think that's... So they'll actually preach against joy because they know that they don't have any. All right? The twelfth sign, and i got to hurry this up, that we talked about last week, this idea 
And that cognition alone is the predicate of entrance into the kingdom of God. This idea is enshrined in their thinking. Acquisition and the apprehension of knowledge or gospel knowledge is that's incorrectly viewed as saving faith in my opinion. Okay? Saving faith includes assent, belief, and reliance upon Christ. Okay? It's necessary to experience salvation. But just knowing gospel propositions, being able to reproduce gospel propositions, being able to spit out tulip and actually and even attack Arminianism or tolerant Calvinism or infralapsarianism or whatever doctrine that doesn't that doesn't mean you uh, believe the gospel okay huh. uh, just knowing the gospel doesn't produce joy being able to reproduce it but knowing Christ will knowing Christ will does produce joy all right and the 13th and final sign I'm going to talk about tonight, uh, that you're dealing with a neo-gnostic or neo-gnostic person or ministry, is if that person or ministry insists that you agree with them before they consider you to be a brother. Oh, you better agree with them that fifth generation peace speakers are unregenerate, or you are unregenerate. You better agree with all of their logical syllogisms. Okay, you better agree with them on all their leaps of logic, all their propositions, and agree with their creeds. Oh, you better agree with your, their creeds or you're out. All right, secondary issues, well, they've become primary now. All right, <laughs> you better agree with them on all those issues. And if you don't, you're out, and there'll be no love from them until you agree with them. That's a sign you're dealing with a neo-gnostic. Okay? So those are my signs, my list of signs. Uh, and my opinion on, on these signs, they, they, they usually go hand, neo-gnosticism usually goes hand in hand with negative ministries that you see on Facebook and elsewhere. Mark Carpenter was one of these, these guys He's probably the most infamous neo-gnostic I've ever interacted with. He was a very caustic, mean, and very pitiful, I'll just say it, jerk. Okay? And, and I don't know how he is today, but he was back in the day. And the number of people he attacked um, online, I, I don't have a problem pointing him out. Because he, he needs a little bit of... Uh, pushback. <laughs> He's not online anymore. And this influence on the Sovereign Grace community is with us today, in my opinion. Even though he's not around anymore, he's still here. The spirit of Mark Carpenter is here. The uh, suicides amongst his followers. The lack of love amongst his adherents. The mistreatment of others. The constant attacking. Yeah, I see I see this a lot in the online sovereign grace community. And it's grievous to me. It's grievous. And I haven't seen this much lately in the last six months because I've withdrawn from so much of it. And uh <laughs> yeah, 
man. And one Sovereign Grace preacher, he recently told me that for somebody like me who's constantly talking about how we should be loving, he tells me I'm a terrible example of it. And he's right. I'm, I'm certainly, that's certainly true. I'm, I'm a pitiful example. Uh, I wish, though, that I could be better. Oh, how I wish. And so, I will try to make my life and I'll endeavor to make Pristine Grace a website that doesn't exhibit these behaviors. I, I hope to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth and that it changes uh, my behavior as I, as I age. Okay. And uh, there's, there's a man on YouTube, um, I won't say his name, he's a, what I call a very, very, very high grace superlapsarian. I don't think he's as high as me. <laughs> but he's very high. And he, he seemingly understands God's, God's absolute predestination of all things. <laughs> Which I, I think is, that's an important topic. But every time he talks, he's always condemning somebody else. By, by, in, by name. By, because of the doctrine that they hold to. Okay? Or he's talking about how women shouldn't wear makeup or something ridiculous like that. Some other nonsense like that. And he completely ruins his ministry by doing these things. And I don't think he's part of a church. Or has any desire to be a part of one. Nothing would ever be good enough for him. Because secondary issues are primary for him. And I think he misses the gospel completely. He's not preaching Christ. He's preaching God's sovereignty. And that's all. He's just preaching the sovereignty of God. And that's it. He's not preaching Christ. And you know what? I, I love God's sovereignty. I, I think it's an essential part of the gospel. But if that's all you're preaching, you, you're just, if you've got super lapsarianism, well, if that's all you got, you're, you're not preaching. You're not necessarily preaching the gospel. If you don't preach Christ and Him crucified, you failed as a preacher. If you're arguing, if you're combative, if you're talking about women wearing makeup instead of Christ, <laughs> well, you're a failure, and I, and I don't want to listen to you. You're, you're not preaching the gospel, as far as I'm concerned. Don't. Don't even try sending me a friend request on Facebook. I'd, I'd rather be friends with a free willer who has no idea what's going on. <laughs> They're generally nicer people. And you know what? They're not trying to shove their legalism down my throat like some of the, the sovereign gravers out there. Uh, oh. oh, and here's another thing. I'm not going to debate you either. <laughs> I've had my invitations to debate people over the years. Formal debates and informal debates. Uh, the preterists were really bad about that. They wanted to have their debate with me. And uh, I used to engage folks early in my, my believing life in these debates. Okay? I debate free rulers. I debate all kinds of things. You know? And I don't care to debate anyone anymore. I don't care. And I... Uh, you know, and I don't care so much that there are folks out there believing lies because that is what God has intended. Of course, I care for the truth, and I care that the truth is, I want the truth to be magnified. But I'm not going to go out there to try to force the truth 
to be believed by engaging in de debates. Okay, God reveals the truth. And no amount of arguing or debating can perform that work. It, re it requires the sovereign work of the Holy Spirit to open up hearts and minds. So your, your internet memes and your t-shirts and your fancy tattoos, your clever arguments, and lots of amens from the Facebook peanut gallery, well, that doesn't convince anyone to rest in Christ. <laughs> but, but God uses, I, know, I do know what he what does help. God uses the foolishness of preaching the gospel to bring his sheep into the fold. So let's not forget that. Positive gospel preaching. All right? And if you're a believer out there listening to this tonight or sometime in the future, you're a minister of the gospel. You're a servant. That's what it means to be a minister, a servant. And you have a ministry. We all have a ministry. So let your service be positive, not negative. Focus on preaching Christ and Him crucified. Stay away from clever arguments and arguing constantly against falsehood. God's sheep, you know, we're dumb. God's sheep because sheep are dumb animals. But God's sheep, though, once taught, they recognize error. And with a little teaching, they're, they're not going to stray from the fold. God's going to preserve them. They don't need to be continually warned about the Catholic Church. <laughs> or, or uh, you know, the Jehovah's Witnesses. <laughs> or the John MacArthur's, or the Paul Washer's, or the Charles Spurgeon's, or the Don Fortner's, or the Brandon Crafts. They don't need to be warned. Constantly. God's sheep only need to be taught what is true. And false. It's important to teach them false. What's false? But they have the teacher. They have Christ himself. Who's taken up residence. And all of his people who believe. And he's guiding them. And they have the law of God written on their heart. So yeah. We don't need to be constantly... Uh, you know, bashing on false religionists all day. That's that's not that's not a ministry. Sorry, it isn't. Not in my opinion, anyway. Alright, that's about all I gotta say about that on that subject. Now let's see, oh my goodness, I've gone way too long. Seven I'm at fifty minutes, fifty one minutes. And I still have more to go. Alright, my next subject. The election. <laughs> oh, yeah, we got one coming up, and it's getting kind of exciting. It's also getting kind of scary. What's going to happen? I don't know. I don't know. Will a tyrant be elected to the presidency? Maybe. Maybe not. Uh, what about all these crazy Americans that might vote the wrong way? Your neighbor. Yeah, the idiot across the street holding up the sign of that candidate. You know who I'm talking about. You know. Now, why do we have to be subject to them and all of their stupid whims? Okay? These people, they'd even vote death itself upon all of us if they could. But 
are you worried about that? Are you are you concerned? Um, well, all I have to say about that is please don't be alarmed. God's got it. He's got this. He's got it all under control. He's already got the winner picked out. All right, he already knows who it's going to be because he's he's determined it, <laughs> and he's directing the thoughts of the millions of people who are voting, and those who aren't voting, and all the people who all the dead people who voted. <laughs> he he's controlling it all to bring about his desired result. <laughs> okay, so don't worry, he's got this. And uh, and I used to be, and I still can be, one of those guys that freaks out on election day. <laughs> I I hope I've gotten better, and hope this year I'll be better for my family. Oh man, Angie can tell you some stories. Oh, they're awful. But uh, really, we we should just be able to go to bed in peace and not worry about who got elected. All right. And I'm preaching to myself here. But when I wake up in the morning, when we wake up in the morning, God's man will have been revealed. Okay? And uh, hopefully. I, I remember the 2000 election. <laughs> when we woke up, we didn't know who was president. <laughs> it took about a month, I think, for Bush to be confirmed over uh, Gore. That was a roller coaster. Yeah, roller coaster in November. Uh, Nevertheless, it's 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 all in God's hand, and the king's heart is in His hands. All right, was Proverbs twenty one one says that He will turn it wherever He desires. Okay, was it about the rivers and like He turns the river? Let's see if I can find it here. You get the exact passage. Let me look it up here. Ah, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, okay? As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. All right, that's my advice for you this election season, because I may not podcast till after the election, all right? So going into the election, remember that, and don't worry. Be at peace. Remember that it doesn't matter who wins. If Biden wins, God can turn Biden's heart to serve Christ's people. Same for Trump. It's all up to God, not the puny voter. Okay, God is sovereign, not man. So remember that. I hope my wife will remind me of that also. Angie, if you listen to this, remind me of that. I need this bad. Okay, <laughs> my flesh still gets caught up in all of this, but. Uh, you know, may the Lord be pleased to give us this peace. Okay, I got another topic. I'm four minutes short of an hour. All right. Halloween. Should we celebrate it or not? Somebody asked me that. Or listen or watch scary movies or whatever. Friends, people, I don't care what you do. Okay, you have the law of God written on your heart. You know the gospel. And you will be led into all matters of truth. You know, obviously there's some things out there that are God dishonoring. But uh, I believe God's people 
will be convicted of what's right and what's wrong. And I don't need to lecture anybody about that. Okay? Some folks out there, I think they're celebrating Reformation Day instead of Halloween. Yeah, it's fine too. You know? Like I said, I don't really care. <laughs> All right. So uh, that's my answer. I, all, I, all I really care about is if you have an enjoyable time with your loved ones and that you glorify the Lord and all that you do. So if you put a pumpkin out on your front yard, hand up Halloween candy. Do it, to, do it to, to the glory of God. If you smoke a cigar, smoke it to the glory of God. You, you know, I don't get into that. I don't get into that. All right. So that's about all I have for tonight, uh, tonight's podcast. I'll, I hope you've been edified, or at least entertained. <laughs> all right, and, and uh, if you have any questions or concerns, just give me a call. You guys got my phone number. I love, I love to hear from you, and I love all of you in Christ. And I hope to podcast to you all again soon. All right? So... Good night. I'm going to now transition to the end screen. And this time I'm not going to leave my mic on. Talk to you all later.